welcome to Everybody A, Everybody Gay. A queer exploration of Pretty Little Liars. With your hosts, Speak Pirate, a.k.a. Joanna. I'm here, I'm queer, and I have a cat named Spencer. And your other host, LCO123, a.k.a. Vina, a proud member of the Church of Vanderjesus. Hello, and welcome to O oh Sibling, Where Art Thou? Yet another reworked title because the misgendering misdirection just doesn't quit this season. But this episode features the uh, glorious tennis ball massacre of 6A, uh, a beautiful Mona Mike reunion over a basket of Arya's discarded BDSM dolls, (laughs) Hannah doing surgery to remove everyone's neck trackers, Allison drugging her dad, strong sexual tension between Mona and Allie, and the newly revealed existence of a little thing called 911. It is also the episode that introduced the, the biggest hat on a hat of them all, and that is the character that after some discussion, uh, whether we were going to, like, you know, Cousin Frida, Cousin F, Freddie, we feel is, you know, it can be a unisex name, uh, we're going to just go ahead, since the plot line is already a complete hash, uh, and, and we're just going to, uh, <laughs> we're going to do all honor and disrespect to uh, the Cousin Freddy introduction. Yes, yeah, this, I had totally forgotten about the Cousin Freddy twist in, and until last week when I was reading the recap of this week's episode, and I was like, oh my god, it it gets weirder. There's still yet another twist happening. Um, this episode, it's relatively action-packed, I would say, especially for 6A. Nothing really changes from start to end of episode other than the liar's trackers getting removed and, like, marginally more information about A. But it is a really fun time for most of the episode. The this the inclusion of Toby and the Rosewood PD is absolutely bonkers. Uh, yeah, there's a lot to talk about. Should we dive right in? I think we should. I would call this episode a, a bit of a romp. Uh, a we don't romp. get a lot of romps yes. at this time, uh, it, but we have one here. It's reminiscent, I would say, of the an episode that we reference all the time, which is the hat party episode, which I think is mm. also quite a romp. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I would certainly... I would certainly agree with that. Uh, we open on Spencer and Aria kicking back in front of a roaring fire, uh, and they are talking to Allison's voicemail greeting. Allie is incommunicado, and Spencer is watching videos of people removing their pets' microchips while they discuss the truly bonkers idea of maybe leaving the chips in to somehow give themselves an advantage. Question mark, exclamation point, question mark. Um, Aria gets a text from Mona that Leslie Stone has agreed to meet with them to answer some of their questions. Spencer wants Allie to be there to hear that her sibling is still alive. But where is Allison? Uh, A funny thing is how desperate the liars are to get a hold of Allison for the first half of this episode. And then the second half of the episode, presumably Allison is trying desperately to get into contact with them. And now they are ghosting her. Well, and also nobody, nobody cared that Allison was completely missing last week. Where right. was she? Church camp? Dead in the woods? Who knows? No one was bothered. In Lorenzo's basement? We don't know. Yeah. 
Uh, so where is Allie? Uh, she is, in fact, being packed into a car by a very mad-looking Kenneth De Laurentiis. Uh, Ken has not even bothered to wash the dirt off of his hands after digging up that grave last week. He is refusing to answer Allison's questions about where he was and where they're going, just muttering in an ominous way, someplace safe. Uh, he hasn't really done much to sort of hide what's going on because there is a card sitting between them on the seat. It is the birthday card from last episode. Uh, Allison reaches down, opens it up, and declares to us all that Dead Name is alive and coming for them. I feel like I know that they gave Allison this line just for dramatic effect, but it's like, Look who just caught up. Like, we're in the seventh episode of this season, Allison. Yep. I know that you're like a passive alien waif blueberry, but get with the program. It's very much, oh, welcome back to the show, Allison. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay, so uh, post-credits, Hannah is on her way to uh, meet up with Mona and the other liars. And, Al, you know, Hannah is looking great in this episode. I love her jeans. I love her casual red sweater uh, that she's wearing. Uh, she wants to kind of be stunning, but not look like she's trying too hard in the battle of Mona's ex-wives. Um, I wish that Hannah was wearing fake glasses. That's my only note. <laughs> uh, in fact, I wish all of the liars showed up wearing fake glasses to meet with Leslie, honestly. Um but Hannah is intercepted by her mom and a check from the Karasimi group for $30,000. Uh, it turns out Ashley spent a lot of time while Hannah was gone applying to various scholarships uh, in her name. It helped, believing that Hannah was going to come back and have a future. And now this has paid off. Uh, Hannah thinks that the company name sounds kind of familiar. And Ashley says that Jason suggested them as Jessica used to donate to them all the time. Hannah hugs her mom, but already seems to be feeling like her spidey senses are tingling, and this could be a little sketchy. Ashley is so heartbreaking in this scene. Like, she's proud and tearful and overwhelmed. Uh, I do think it's weird. Hannah, So Hannah is obviously going off to this Mona meeting, uh, but she needs a, a cover story, as all the liars do. So she's like, I was going to go and surprise you and, and Caleb with muffins, which is like... Already, they're kind of being linked together like her parents. And you can tell that when Hannah says that lie, like, it, that could not be further from what she wants to be doing with her time. Very true. Yeah. So Emily, who looks great in this episode, uh, is leaving a concerned message for Allison at the brew when she's approached by Sarah's friend, Claire, uh, another girl returning to Rosewood with only eyes for Emily. Uh, also, she expositions to us that Emily isn't working at the brew anymore, which is news to me. Uh, Claire is uh, has not had luck trying to track down Sarah via her mom. Uh, Emily is immediately protective over her emotional support sleeve of stale crackers, uh, saying that Sarah is at work and then snapping at Claire's attempt at a joke. Claire acknowledges that she and Sarah went through some hard times, but Sarah is her friend and she'd like to see her. Uh, side note, Claire might be one of the most emotionally healthy characters ever on PLL. Um, Emily reveals, this is a weird turn of events. So <laughs> Emily said this thing about Sarah being at work. Then she's like, no, I lied. 
Sarah is at therapy and I'm picking her up in two hours. So first of all, it's not like she's saying like, oh no, Sarah's at home. Like you can go see her right now. Like it doesn't really matter where Sarah is. It's a little weird to me to just like reveal somebody's status of being in therapy if you don't have their permission. Also, Sarah's doing two hour sessions. That sounds really intense. More for the therapist than for Sarah, I would say. I mean, Emily is often, like, a deeply imperfect partner, but her willingness to just make executive decisions about what Sarah will or will not do, such as go to Thailand or reunite with this old friend who she's expressed no known interest in reconnecting with post-kidnapping, it's, like, next level. Remember when I said that Emily sympathizes with the bad boyfriends because Emily herself is a bad boyfriend? This interaction really made me feel like, yeah, I rest my case. This is a Caleb-level move here. This is very Caleb. Yeah, or Prezra. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Speaking of bad boyfriends, Spencer is getting ready to leave the house when a man knocks on the patio door. I would simply not answer when this happens, as it (laughs) never goes well. It's always just some fucking joker out there. Uh, Case in point, we have Tobey recently back from his police seminar and wanting Spencer to drop everything so that they can bone. Uh, Spencer tells him she's busy, she needs to leave, and he immediately decides that because she does not want to sleep with him at that moment, she is keeping secrets. I mean, it's true, Toby, but there are a lot of other really valid reasons that she might not want to get with you right now. Uh, They don't keep secrets, the two of them, uh, except for the time when he pretended to hate her and that other time when he joined the A-team and pretended to be dead or that other time when he stole the RV for A and when he didn't tell Spencer he was applying to the police academy. And, you know, actually, it seems like he only has a problem with Spencer keeping secrets, Ah. if we're going to be honest. Uh, She lies and says that it's just that she's writing this graduation speech and Aria is helping and she's got to go. She leaves, and it seems like Toby is just going to hang out in her house because it's that much trouble to get him back out the door. Keegan, I wonder if he had fun with this episode because he gets to play some uh, notes of Toby that we have not seen before. And here we have DTF Toby. Like, he comes in ready to go. Yeah, yeah, it is very true. Um, he is basically like what's happening is they're giving him one direction per scene and he's able yeah. to achieve that. They're like, okay, right now you're horn dog, Toby. So he's like, <laughs> got it. I'm, I'm giving it 110%. And then later they're like, okay, you are stoned AF, Toby. <laughs> and he's like, got it. Got it, man. So yeah, he's the, the director really knew how to work with him, I think. Do we think that Keegan's a method actor? Do you think he he took a couple edibles before that scene? Um, I don't think so. <laughs> because I think that if he had ever in his life actually taken an edible or eaten a gummy bear, he wouldn't be <laughs> eating them out of the pack like he does, like a like a sociopath uh, <laughs> later in the episode. He is just mowing down. Oh, uh, but we will get there. Uh, so next we have a pretty delightful scene over at Mona's bedroom. Leslie is not here and the liars are really upset. 
Aria is also very disturbed by uh, Mona's wide variety of dolls and just has to go like real quick, turn a doll's head around. Aria is also a lot of fun in this episode. Spencer, like, Bur- <laughs> go ahead. Like Aria doesn't just like pick the doll up right. and like put its back. She actually like turns the head around exorcist style. Why? That's so Aria. That's Aria. And it makes like sort of a sickening, creaky noise <laughs> as she turns the head, but she just keeps going. Um, Spencer arrives and Sp- they, when they, she determines that Leslie isn't there, she Troyan has a really funny delivery where she's like, Aria, leave the doll alone. <laughs> um, Leslie texts Mona just then saying that she's made a lot of progress and doesn't think she's up for a confrontation. Hannah will show her confrontation. Uh, Aria, who is very much coming in at an 11, is ready to go right now and track down Leslie. But Mona seems to want to protect her friend from another breakdown. Uh, Spencer reveals that they know that Mona was with Allison that night, which I was it was I know that I think part of the reason why they drop this here is because of what happens later in the episode. But then I was wondering, does Mo is this the first time that Mona finds this out that the liars know that she was with Allison that night? It seems wild that it hasn't come up before this, but maybe yeah, it, this is the first time Mona's hearing about it. It doesn't really matter, but it was in, an interesting line drop there. Um, so Spencer suggests maybe Mona saw somebody that night or possibly at Radley. Who was it who took the game over for her? Sorry, Mona was on too many drugs. She could have been talking to Allison or she could have been auditioning for American Idol. Uh I really like this scene. I think I love Mona in this episode. I will say that I think an annoying aspect of this twist is that much like the episode where Mona is like trapped in the lodge and running around screaming that A is a red coat is everywhere and nowhere. I feel like it forces Mona into somewhat of a place of powerlessness. That's like not the mode that I love to see our Vander Jesus in. True, true. Also, my kingdom for a flashback of Mona thinking that she was auditioning for American Idol. Oh, God, I know. I know. They really dangle that there. They do. They do. Okay. For real, Emily has so little to do these days that I didn't even really realize she was not in the last scene until we get to this point. And it's like, oh, no, she wasn't uh, because she is on the all Sarah all the time plan. Um, Back in the days of the toast, I remember that Nicole Cliff theorized that Mitch and Cam had the worst marriage on Modern Family and that they were possibly a false flag operation, uh, you know, thought up by like focus on the family. And that is essentially how I feel about Emily and Sarah. Like they're as boring as they are dysfunctional somehow. It's not even that they have zero chemistry, like zero would be an improvement. It's like you look at them and you just stop caring about anything that's going to happen in this scene, uh, which is that Emily promises Sarah that she doesn't have to go to the play date that Emily set up for her, even as Emily continues to push for it in the form of suggesting where and when they can meet up. Uh, Sarah wants to talk about their kissing last night, which she thinks might have been a dream. Very reluctant props to her for actually trying to follow up on a kiss, which is a kind of a rare thing in the Liarverse. Uh, it doesn't go great, Emily says, but it was real. Unless Sarah wants it to have been a dream, then they can pretend. Wow. Uh, Sarah was into it and would maybe like to kiss some more, 
But Emily is oddly reluctant, given how singularly focused she's been on Sarah this entire half season, uh, and says that they have both been going through a lot and should maybe take some time to think about what they want. Sarah reluctantly agrees. Yeah, I feel like... um... Okay, first of all, Sarah has a line in this scene where she's, like, talking about, like, I've had enough pretend kisses. And, like, said in that whispery voice of hers, it is a hella creepy line. Um, (laughs) What does it mean? (laughs) I think it means that, like, when she was in the dollhouse, she was just imagining kissing people. Uh, Okay. (laughs) I think, maybe. Um, But also, like... Emily Lady Killer Fields turns so stuttery and awkward around this absolute nobody of Sarah Harvey, which I think is the show's attempt to be like, ooh, Emily's got a crush. Like, she can't, you know, like, th- things are so awkward. Like, it's their attempt at, like, the laziest kind of rom comish dialogue ever. But it just doesn't feel in character for Emily because, like, we've never seen Emily be, like, We've never seen like a confident out Emily be like stuttery and nervous around anybody like this. No, and there's there's no like there's nothing to hang this hat on. Like it's it's all just a flat surface. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, no nails to be found. Mm -hmm. Uh, so time for a little dick measuring contest over at the De Laurentiis house. Because Lorenzo knocks on the door and Jason answers. There's a creepy red balloon just sort of lingering on the porch like we're suddenly in the movie It. Uh, Jason seems immediately suspicious of Lorenzo, which, you know, good for you, Jason. Lorenzo, especially he shows he throws out a line about how Allie usually calls him right back. And Jason is like, since when do you two have a usually? Uh, Lorenzo is like weirdly kind of interrogating Jason about where Allie is and when she'll be back. There's a sort of bit of, you know, who's the man of this house kind of back and forth. And then Lorenzo drives off. Jason goes over to investigate the balloon, finding a tiny plastic frog and an invitation to a birthday party with an address telling him to come alone or not at all. You know, I am so amused by the phantom cops of Rosewood uh, because we hear so much about them this season. They're they're parked outside everyone's house, and yet they never once intercept. Like, like obviously, A got up to the porch to put this balloon and this invitation there, and yes. the cops were, like, just playing words with friends in their car or, like, Candy Crush or something, and were like, oh, that that person in a hooded sweatshirt seems legit. You know, they didn't even like, they didn't even see the balloon and be like, oh, was that there before? Should we investigate? Could it be a bomb? No, they're just like, well, and what's so funny is later when the liars go to the De Laurentiis house, the cops are like all over them, the liars mm-hmm. who they know. Um, and But then it's like somebody in a black hoodie. It's fine. My favorite, one of my favorite bits of this episode is the ending when there's just a whole projection set up in like the De Laurentiis attic. <laughs> and there isn't even a question of like, how did this happen? Or an attempt to like track down how it happened. It's just like, mm-hmm. no, this is how it works. It just yeah. stuff just shows up. <laughs> Oh, so Aria is deciding that she is going to get rid of a bunch of her old dolls, uh, now having felt like they're creepy. Mike comes in 
and wants to ask if Arya told Mona not to talk to him. Uh, Arya did not, and Mike admits that he's left a bunch of messages and he's gone to her house and he's talked to Mona's mom, but Mona herself will not speak to him. Uh, Arya is very surprised by this and Mike asks her what he should do. Uh, we also hear in this scene that Arya has applied to be in an art show just so that we can launch that particular plot line for next week. But I really like Mike in this episode. And I, I like the scenes between Mike and Arya, as well as the scenes between Mike and Mona. Uh, he is definitely the best man on the show. And I feel like he he already, like, he saw Arya getting all these dolls into a laundry basket. And I feel like that really made him miss Mona and kind of launched this plan that is going to send him over to Mona's house. Yeah, I wish that every episode we could get Jason and Mike instead of Caleb and Prezra, like we have in this episode. Um, I love Mike in this episode. I, like, one of the most surprising parts of this whole rewatch for me has been realizing how much I love Mike. And I think something that they've really shown, even in the, like, the little bits that we get of Mike, is the way that he has really grown as a as a person who cares about other people like he really is very caring towards Arya in this episode even though he like even though he came in here to talk about Mona he immediately like he's asking her about her art show he's asking her about her photographs uh i just i just really really like him and i think that they have like i wish that mike got to be on the show more because i think that they have a really compelling sibling relationship uh, and I like that unlike some of the other relationships on the show, like uh, some of the other sibling relationships on the show, it isn't really antagonistic. Like they actually care for one another. A hundred percent. Oh boy, this scene. Um, so Emily, Sarah, and Claire are at some dessert place. As a reminder, Emily pitched coming along so that this wouldn't be weird. Uh, mission very much not accomplished. So this, uh, Claire snaps that Sarah got the peanut butter, which I guess Emily reaches for a peanut butter cookie. Emily thought they would all share with cookies. Like why are you going to like break every cookie into thirds? That seems weird. Like at first I was like, okay, if it's like a, like pieces of pie or something, maybe, but cookies, um, Claire is very surprised that Sarah would be willing to share. Uh, and things are kind of awkward as Sarah works her way up to asking Claire a bunch of questions. How's Avery? How's Tina? How's Monkey? Sarah has this way of saying normal-ish things or asking like normal-ish questions and making it sound as though she's an alien who is like just learning how to speak English. Like, these are all, you know, relatively normal questions that you'd ask somebody who you haven't seen in years, but they're said in such a weird, off-putting way. Um, however, Claire shows up uh, or uh, shows a picture of Monkey, who I guess is her dog, who was a puppy when last Sarah knew him. And there's a really great shot where uh, Sarah and Claire are looking at the phone and Emily is excluded from looking at the picture of this dog. Yes, it's Emily really seems very thrown by the sudden revelation that Sarah can have interest in non-Emily topics. Yeah, Emily is like, she's very unlikable in this episode. Like the way that she behaves towards Sarah 
like who theoretically, you know, the idea of Sarah finally having somebody from her old life who's actually like a positive presence should be a good thing that Emily, Emily is not having it. No, she really is not. Emily is not into sharing. Um, So Spencer and Hannah are at the brew and Sabrina is kind of casually overhearing Spencer being stressed out about having to lie to Toby. Spencer and Hannah are talking about uh, being cyborgs or cyclopses in a very cute way. Uh, I love that Spencer is actually uh, correcting Hannah in the sense of like Hannah used the wrong word, but Hannah, who is so used to Spencer just correcting her pronunciation is like, no, I'm pretty sure it's pronounced Cyclops. Uh, (laughs) I I love that. I love their wife vibes. Uh, Also, Hannah is investigating the Karasimi group which doesn't have her scholarship listed anywhere, but is affiliated with either Radley or the shutting down of Radley. Ooh, how mysterious. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, these two are so great together. Also, I feel like with every conversation that passes where their lives are like, we can't tell our boyfriends about this thing. It becomes that much clearer that the obvious solution is for them to just date each other. <laughs> you know? Yes. Yes. Agreed. Um, So Claire and Sarah are bonding and Emily is not having it. She is ready to go home. Uh, Claire offers Sarah a place to stay, but Emily jumps in to say that Sarah has a place to stay. Damn it. Uh, Also, there's a, there's a weird line where Claire's like, we have so many Reese Witherspoon movies to catch up on. I don't feel like Reese Witherspoon was like making a whole lot of movies in the intervening years that Sarah was gone. I feel like they could have gone with a slightly more contemporary reference. Um, But, you know, what's interesting is, like, like we've kind of been talking about if the Sarah Emily stuff wasn't being framed as this, like, bizarre sort of will-they-won't-they romance and was actually being, like, if they were actually being more nuanced and intentional about showing that, like, this is how Emily is coping with her grief, I think it would be so much more successful. And, like, this episode, I think, comes closest to actually dealing with that before then turning Sarah leaving into like a sort of romantic moment. But I actually think like Emily is being awful to Sarah here. And that's interesting. Like I wish that they would actually explore the implications of that. Especially, uh, especially because Emily at one point says that Tanner probably wouldn't want Sarah to be outside of Rosewood. Like what, what an absolutely bizarre and controlling thing uh, to say to this girl, especially yeah. because she's been outside of Rosewood before when she was like staying with her mom and she was running away all the time. Like Tanner obviously does not really care where this woman is. So it's a weird, weird, weird thing to invoke. It it really is. I totally agree. Uh, so, uh Hannah and Spencer realize that Karasimi means uh, beloved. And Hannah wonders if Jessica's favorite charity was her beloved offspring's bank account. Uh, She is musing on this while Spencer gets a phone call and goes outside because her reception isn't any good. Hannah sits there looking pensive as Sabrina appears and slides some gummies into Spencer's bag, telling Hannah that Spencer can thank her later. Oh, Sabrina. Um, Also, my note on this scene is beloved, Spencer says, her brain speaking before she can edit herself as she stares at Hannah's beautiful face. (laughs) (laughs) That's how it's edited. Like, she's looking at Hannah and she's like, 
beloved. And then like <laughs> figure out what's actually going on. But I like my interpretation more. I do. I do as well. So we go over to uh, Spencer's conversation. She is on the phone with Allison, who is at a hotel and trapped with Kenneth, who has confiscated her phone. Uh, Allie reveals that dead name is alive and coming home for their birthday. Uh, suddenly, Jason is the one who's the target, which it, like this episode really goes there 110 percent. It's like Jason is the one at risk because he wants to meet dead name. Uh, Kenneth starts pounding on the door. And so Allison hangs up. Uh, Allie insists that they need to tell people they need to, you know, uh, let Jason know and let her friends know so that they can protect them. But Kenneth isn't having it. He's like, he has a line here, which I think is really funny. He's like, just give me one day to figure this out. And it's like, dude, you didn't have a contingency. You've had so many years to come up with a contingency plan. Like, you don't get, you don't get patience and grace in this moment, my man. I mean, first of all, Kenneth is letting Jason stay back at home in the house, knowing uh, knowing that dead name is on the loose. Like, you just kind of know that Kenneth is hoping, like, well, maybe after tonight, one of my worthless <laughs> offspring will bump off the other. Like, he's really hoping that he's in some way going to come out ahead uh, in this particular situation. Truly, truly. Also, I think it's so funny that, like, Allie is out of town. Now, we don't know where Allie and Kenneth have have gone to. But we know that it's, like, within a reasonable driving distance of Rosewood. It's not, like, hours and hours away because the Vander Jesus is able to get there um, in pretty good time. So it's, like, how far did he go to get to where he felt like it was safe and also, like, it was obviously over the mysterious out-of-town border because now it's, like, hard to get cell reception and, like, <laughs> who knows if you can, you know, like, can you shout through the void to get to someone over there? Um, so, yeah, it's, it's like, full-on out-of-town vibes. Out-of-town being lawyers. Also, a weird thing about this hotel room is that the coffee maker setup is in the bathroom. <laughs> oh, my God. I have that same note later about the unhygienic coffee situation. It's in addition, really gross. Like, fortunately, I would never be drugged by this coffee because I would be far <laughs> too skeeved out by its location in the bathroom. Oh, uh, yeah. <sighs> Kenneth doesn't have that, that issue, apparently. <laughs> so Spencer sends Emily a message that they need to talk ASAP, but Emily cares not for Sarah Harvey's in the doorway to her room, saying that Claire's dad is picking her up in a couple of hours and she's going to go and stay over there. Emily hates it. She tries to rat out Claire for previously saying mean things about Sarah. But Sarah's like, that was fair. I didn't like myself much either back then. Also, if I go over there, it'll be easier for the two of us to date. And then she kisses Emily as the instrumental music swells as a counterpoint to how little meaning or emotion all of this has. I mean, I guess props to Sarah. Like, probably they shouldn't be dating if, like, Pam is, you know, making all of their meals, which is a thing that they talk about. But, like... Yeah, this is just this is just bad. And I think it's really shitty that like Emily doesn't like that nobody takes Emily to task for how controlling she's been with Sarah. Yeah, you had a really good point that like if Emily like this episode is kind of demonstrating if Emily doesn't have Sarah, she has nothing. 
Like, she isn't participating in the stuff that the other liars are participating in. She's not caring about the stuff that the other liars are caring about right now. So it's like, if if what Sarah is, is like a distraction or a means for Emily to like channel all of her unresolved feelings about everything that's happened, like Sarah leaving, and also just like the idea of having somebody who's like always around, like Emily doesn't have to be by herself uh, yeah. to like process any of this. And I, I think you're right. I think if they like dug deeper on that, that would be kind of interesting. Um, but alas, it is not to be. It is not to be, unfortunately. Um, so, and then the other, like, unfortunate thing about it is that it means that, like, Emily is sequestered away from the liars a whole bunch, as is the case in this next scene, where all of the liars, except for Emily and Allison, who's, like, sort of a half-liar at this point, uh, are pounding on the De La Rentis door in search of Jason, uh, who they suggest might be knowingly avoiding them. The random police officer outside also isn't any help and sort of politely invites the liars to get get out of here. Uh, Spencer catches sight of the balloon on her way out. And it it seems like that, like a puzzle piece is sort of slotting into place there for her. Yes, yes. Spencer's like Spencer's radar is going off like that balloon is suspicious. She has seen the movie. It. Yes, for sure. Yes. All right. This is one of my favorite, favorite Mike Mona scenes. Uh, He is sitting in the room with a laundry basket full of Arya's discarded dolls. Mona comes in and it's very clear that the reason she's freezing him out uh, is her own guilt about what she put him through. Uh, You know, he told her not to fake her own death. He fought with her about it. Um, He really did his best to persuade her and she didn't listen. And then everything turned out as badly as it did. Uh, Mike says that he doesn't care. He just cares that she's alive. He is the best boyfriend on the show. He has the right priorities. And he brought her all these creepy dolls. Um, And I love that, like, Mona can barely look at him, like, throughout this scene and the continuation of the scene. Like, Mona, like, it's like, it's like Mike is so good. Like, he is radiating goodness. And Mona just feels like, so unworthy of that after everything that she's done and everything that she's been through, she can barely look at him. So she spends most of this, like this whole series of scenes uh, really invested in looking through the dolls in the basket and like setting them up at her home for wayward dolls that she has in her room. Yes. Yeah. I took the note here that like, this feels like the healthy version of whatever's going on with Caleb right now. Oh yeah. and this and and it it's interesting that like it's interesting seeing this in kind of counterpoint to Caleb just in terms of like the writers clearly knew a little bit about how to write a healthy dynamic but <laughs> apparently that didn't extend to their main couples but yes i agree mike and mona are great um over at the hastings house i love spencer and hannah's energy in this scene because they're very much like in you know getting shit done mode uh spencer is passing out drinks and explaining their newest theory which is that jason is off to meet a at some place outside of rosewood hannah has put a gps tracker on jason's 
car. As a reminder, her own boyfriend recently put a GPS tracker on her car. Uh, and they need to remove their chips as well as their phones. Hannah suggests that this is a trap and that A basically has superpowers. Arya is, you know, taking a cue from Ella. She wants to go to the police and not really do anything. Spencer wants to catch A, but Arya does not want A anywhere near them. And I think this is a really interesting conflict. Hannah and Spencer are very much in the mode of we have to catch this person so that they no longer have power over us. Uh, and are no longer controlling our lives. And Arya, and it seems like to maybe a lesser extent, Emily are kind of um, in this mode of like, I don't really care if A is still out there as long as we never have to be near A again. Uh, again, it's like an interesting argument kind of clouded by like some muddled writing here. But uh, I do like when the liars are sort of on opposite ends of an issue. Uh, Spencer, though, comes up with a wild plan, which is, We'll tell Toby his badge and gun will keep them safe. When has that ever helped them? When have the police or any of the boyfriends really ever come in handy? I don't know. I kind of think Spencer just says this to placate Aria. Uh, Aria mentions Sarah just to let us know that someone other than Emily knows that Sarah exists. Uh, but Spencer seems pretty certain this plan will work out. How are they even going to remove the microchips, Emily asks. And Hannah produces a supply tray full of all of the necessary tools, including a scalpel and some rubbing alcohol. She and Spencer have been studying videos online. Who wants to go first? And, you know, Spencer and Hannah exchange some eye contact that to me says they're kind of enjoying this. I agree. I feel like this is like, you know, when they were younger, they might have had a sleepover where Hannah pierced people's ears or something. Yeah. And now here yeah. she is with the same tray of supplies planning to remove the microchips from their necks. So I love it. I think it's great. Yeah. Uh, also, if like past performance is any indicator of future success, I have literally no idea what, why they would feel like Toby's badge and gun is going to do anything uh in terms of being able to like catch a i kind of feel like they all know that like i kind of feel like the way that this episode is written like i don't really think that spencer has that much faith in toby i think that she wants to and i think that she like wants to believe it's kind of like the nobody you know i tried not to be spencer hastings and nobody else showed up for the job like the idea of somebody else coming in and solving this for them is like very tempting but ultimately, like, that's not how it's going to go, you know? Well, I feel like this is actually just an example of the way the writing was working. Like, they already had an answer set about uh, at this point that they're just, like, working us. Like, a lot of things happen in 6A just because this is the next thing that has to happen in order to get them to their eventual conclusion. And so it's like, Spencer has to decide that they're just going to trust Toby so that the next thing that can happen is that Toby is tripping balls and trying to catch A. Like that, I, I feel like that is the only reason uh, why anybody is like, oh, trusting Toby, it's a great idea, is because the plot says in big letters, like, trust Toby, it's a great idea. Um, That's and then everybody just fair. follows along. That's definitely fair. Um, so speaking of which, Tobey has now arrived at Spencer's house. Uh, where Spencer has a Band-Aid on her neck, and we hear some hilarious off-screen yelping uh, from Aria and Emily as Hannah is doing the surgeries, um, just adding to her, like, MVP of season 6A status. Give it up for Hannah Marin uh, performing these chipectomy upstairs. 
Uh, this is the best part of the scene, which otherwise consists of Tobey being grumpy and Spencer giving the abridged version of dead name De Laurentiis existing and being A. Uh, also, shout out to Tobey, like, grumping as he comes in that he doesn't have very long to, like, be here, even though, like, the whole Rosewood Police Department is dedicated to trying to protect the liars uh, and that there are, like, probably some police stationed outside right now. Ugh, yeah. This dude. And, and later when he's at the station, he's like, oh, it's a really slow night. So it's like, yeah, you're really needed elsewhere, Toby. I am so sure of it. Uh, so Mona is still slowly unpacking her dolls and arranging them. She asks Mike what they were used, what Arya was using them for. He says photography uh, it, for to kind of work through the things that they went through. Just as Mona picks up a doll who has its wrists tied. Oh, Arya, I really wish we had see, gotten to see even more of Arya's weird doll art. I really, really do. Uh, Mike says that she is going to have to forgive herself sometime and he takes her hand and then he does a thing that none of the boyfriends ever do. He asks if she wants him to go. Boundaries. Oh my God. It is actually possible for a man on this show to respect them. Shocking. She shakes her head. She's crying. They kiss. It is really sweet. Like this is such a lovely moment between these two. It is, and it feels so earned, which is, like, something yes. that you can't say about all the characters on this show at this point in time. But the two of them, it really, really works. Also, I love that, like, as she and Mike are talking about this, like, and they're talking about how these dolls kind of, like, represent to Arya, like, what they went through. Um, we see that Mona has found the doll that has its wrist tied and the first thing that Mona does is she unties it. And I yeah. just feel like, oh, my God. Like, it's a very quiet moment. But I felt like that was really, that was really touching. I totally agree. And it's really amazing to me that, like, Mike and Mona, like, that's, you know, accumulative screen time wise. Like, they they don't have a lot of screen time. Like, they're not a couple. They're definitely not one of the main couples. You know, we haven't seen them together in many, many episodes. And yet... Their relationship just is so, like, tender and sweet. And, and I really love that in the absence of Mona getting, like, love and acceptance from the liars, she has somebody in her life who loves her like this and cares for her like this and is, like, you know, Mona, who everybody is so quick to blame for everything that goes wrong, Mike is saying to her, you need to forgive yourself. Like the the most important thing is that you're alive. You matter. I love you. I want to be with you. I'm going to respect the boundaries that you set. Like it's just, it's, it's great. It's really, really great. The other thing that I love about Mike is that he never asks her to be any less Mona than she is. Like he yeah. never, he like, yeah, he gets her and he, he's just crazy about her. And he's also not demanding explanations from her. Like, all of the other boyfriends, you know, as soon as the liars got back from the dollhouse, it was all questions all the time. You know, just, why are you doing this? Why aren't you doing that? Da-da-da-da. And, like, Mike is, like, he's just kind of, like, holding space for her here in a way that I think is so lovely. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. Uh, In stark contrast... (laughs) To this very lovely relationship, uh, we have Toby, 
whose like whole life at this point seems to be like an ever longer self-justified letter to am I the asshole? Uh, <laughs> he's been filled in on the details. And is he grateful for Spencer's confidence? Is he concerned over the danger that she's encountered? Nope. And nope. He is mad. He's mad at her most of the time. Uh, he is angry and shouty because the police could have used this information two weeks ago. Well, you know, if the police could investigate worth a damn, they might have found this information at some point in their investigation of all of this. Um, but, you know, bygones are bygones. Uh, Spencer pleads that A had a knife to Sarah's throat and was threatening everyone they love, etc. I wish Toby would have responded, Sarah who? But he doesn't. Uh, anyway, Hannah rushes downstairs to say Jason's on the move. Toby cuts the liars out of their own mission and says he'll go. And since Spencer, evil girlfriend that she is, won't let him call Tanner for like the very good reason of they don't want the call going out on the radio and tipping off A, uh, he'll just have to go alone. It's the only option. Uh, the liars kind of reluctantly agree and Hannah gives him the burner phone that's tracking Jason's GPS. Spencer has to go help them find surgical tape as Tobey gets ready to rush off and be the big damn hero. But before he does, he sees Chekhov's bag of gummies that Sabrina <laughs> slipped into Spencer's bag. The note says, don't stress, has a heart and the letter S. Uh, what exactly makes him think that these are for him? Nothing but his enormous sense of entitlement. That's what. Yeah, I love the in his mind he's like because this is clearly like a personalized package of gummy bears and I love the idea that in his mind he's like my girlfriend you know she's like performing surgery she's like doing investigations she's doing this she's doing that but of course she took the time to make me a little pack of gummy bears with a little note on it and also like she was just there if she wanted to give you these things she would have well, also, though, I do think it points to your, like, Sabrina Spencer shipping because he assumes that this is, like, a romantic token. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Kenneth is letting himself into the bathroom slash coffee pot room uh, where Allison is insisting that she's getting ready for bed. He leaves and we see the coffee is decaffeinated and at first I was like is it really just that the coffee is decaffeinated but no it is also drugged with sleeping pills go Allie drugging her dad it's like the time honored rosewood tradition of slipping a bunch of sleeping pills into someone's drink god Spencer's missed it I think or uh, <laughs> Allison's missed it yes yes over at the station, Tobey is downing gummies like he has never eaten food before. Like, he is pouring them straight from the bag into his gaping maw. Like, he is, like, eating these gummy bears like someone would drink Mountain Dew in a commercial, just pouring it down their throat. Like, he is, he is doing this, like, I don't know, like, like someone might effectively eat M&Ms this way. This is not how you eat gummy bears. Um, but he's also declining Lorenzo's offer of a sandwich while also pretending to want to swing by an area that is not in their jurisdiction without telling command. 
Uh, Lorenzo is not sure this is a good idea, but follows his big old boyfriend after Toby promises to tell him what's up on the way. Yeah, and so now Toby is, like, getting another person involved in this, which is, yeah, like... Even though he made such a big deal about going alone. Yeah, yeah, so he's already he's already screwing up the plan. Uh, meanwhile, Spencer is pacing, very concerned that she has not heard from Toby. Um, Arya, like, oh, Arya, she's like, Toby can take care of himself. Since when? Toby needs Spencer to, like, explain human emotions to him. Uh, the GPS suddenly stops and Spencer freaks out, wondering again why Toby hasn't called her. She says that she, that he wasn't supposed to be the target and she is going. Hannah immediately says she'll go with her and the other liars fall in line. Uh, there's a nice little moment here where Aria considers calling 911, then somewhat tearfully decides against it following Emily also, Arya is wearing kind of a queer jacket for most of this episode with its denim with leather, leather sleeves, and I quite like it. Yes, yes, yes. Arya does have a nice little queer look going on for herself. Yes, yes. Uh, so Jason is lurking outside the meetup location. Uh, he goes in and we see a hooded figure follow him after checking their phone to determine that all of the liar's trackers are still beeping from the Hastings house. Yeah, and of course it's like some like creepy condemned warehouse of something, you know. Like of course, oh, it's, you know, naturally, naturally. naturally. But also, uh, I really, um, I, I really am gonna give a some demerits here. Uh, I'm sure that a, in addition to having the little chips and the liars, is probably tracking their phones and has been for a long time. So it's pretty lazy to be like, well, now that I have these chips. I don't need to keep tabs on where their phones are to see if they're all heading right towards me right now. Right. Well, I mean, there was that line about like, we're keeping our phones at home, but I'm not sure. If, I don't think that's we the saw, case. We saw Aria pocket her phone because she yeah, was about right. to dial 911. That's right. And they're using the phones to track the GPS. So yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, maybe A thought this would be an easy night because Jason, mm -hmm. you know, Jason's not that complicated. It's true. He seems like he, he seems like he'd be fairly easy to trap. Yeah. A is like, you know, I just I've been doing a lot. I just need like a nice kind of easy, easy time. Self self-care. See my crap Jason tonight. <laughs> exactly. See my brother, maybe go home and take a bubble bath. Like <laughs> this is what I need. Paint a doll. Like that's that's I just need some me time. <laughs> yeah. Um, so a car pulls up outside of Allison's hotel. Allison gets in the car and it is Mona. Allison thanks her since she's the only one who uh, picked up the phone. Great work, liars. You've been trying all episode to get a hold of Allison. Now that you could get a hold of her, you're just gone. You're just far, far away. Uh, and I, I really appreciated the little callback earlier to that night because this very much feels like that, a that night reference of Mona driving Alley. Yes. Oh, I totally agree. Uh, so Jason is now inside the meeting place and it looks like an old arcade, uh, which like all the old abandoned buildings in Rosewood, like nobody ever took any of the things out. They're all there. Right. And they all just need like a power switch flipped on them. Uh, nice. So he's wandering around and he's like, he's like shouting for his sibling. Uh, he declines a call from his dad's phone, which we know is actually Allison. 
he's like, I came alone, just like you asked. And isn't this like just peak Rosewood? Uh, Jason came alone, but he has two cops following him with the four liars hot on their heels. And then like a whole cavalcade uh, of extra people after them. So he's like, (laughs) he's like, I came alone. Uh, We see a shadow looming behind him so that we know that A is close. Uh, This whole thing, it just feels like such a fake out because like think about what we know about how this ends like the actual chances that charlotte would reveal herself to jason before allison it just seems very slim like how would we expect jason to react to the next big reveal here especially since charlotte is his ex-girlfriend oh yeah oh god i forgot about that (laughs) i forgot about that if we're to believe that this was really going to be a meetup reveal uh no yeah, yeah, good point. Um, so this scene brings up a lot <laughs> for everybody. Um, Allison asks if Mona told Mike where she was going. She did not. Uh, Allison reveals how she got out, you know, the whole drugging her dad thing, but she couldn't find the car keys. Mona doesn't really say anything to that, but she seems impressed. She says that, you know... She owes Allison more than just a car ride. What? Oh, what is Mona referring to here? Nobody follows up on it, but I have lots of questions. Unfortunately, Allison can't inquire further about that because she has a 911 call to make. And what is her 911 call? She calls 911. She says, my name is Allison DeLaurentis. My friends and family are in danger. I know who A is. Is this just a thing that one can do? Can you just call up 911 and say, I know who A is? The dispatcher does not respond, but I have questions. I really agree. Um, I I really agree. They don't seem to ask any follow-up questions about, like, where she is or... Yeah, or or what A is. I yeah. 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 I mean, it feels like it feels like maybe a good thing, you know, to know, but yeah, it's not. Oh my goodness. Love this Alley Mona mission, however. Oh, I wish we got so much more of it. I really do. So Allison's 911 call yields two of Rosewood's finest. <laughs> bursting into the De Laurentiis living room with their guns drawn after thoroughly searching the premises, a.k.a. looking around for approximately two seconds, they decide no one is there. But uh, they do find the red balloon and the invitation with the address. We hear them calling it in over the radio for Unit 22. I kind of wish that they had, like, made characters of these terrible cops but there is something kind of hilarious about just like the terrible police of rosewood these anonymous cops just bursting into the de Laurentiis house and that and there's nobody here and they it, it seemingly nobody's been here for a long time well this is another demerit that i'm going to give to a i wish that when these cops entered and they were like no one's here I wish that, like, a giant net had, like, dropped down on them. (laughs) And then we just kept getting, like, some more shots of these cops trying to free themselves from a net that they were just getting more and more caught up in. I love that. 
That would be really fun. I mean, I just feel like A A is barely trying. (laughs) Now, you have referenced this as this next scene as being one of your favorites of the entire series. Would you like to walk us through it? I got I got the Mona scene. I think you should take this scene. Oh, man, I really I I thank you for that. You are so kind. I know um, you love this one. I do. I do. At the meetup, Jason is uh, still wandering around. And after all this time, the big scene is so short. Like, when I when I was coming out, I was remembering, like, the Paula Abdul in the Cold Hearted Snake video. And I would have said that she slid across the ballroom floor on her knees for at least 30 seconds. But it wasn't true. It lasts for, like, half a second. And it's so sad. I would have said that this scene lasted like five minutes because I love it so much, but it's actually, uh, it's actually fairly short. Um, Jason's wandering, uh, A is lurking around, and all of a sudden, Toby and Lorenzo burst in with their guns drawn, yelling, freeze! Um, A looses a bunch of metal pipes to fall upon them, and then like hits the power switch to turn the arcade on. Now, Toby, uh, who has eaten, like, an entire bag of gummy edibles, like, and later Spencer is going to say the dosage is probably, like, one. No, like, anybody who's ever taken an edible knows that, like, a gummy, you're, you're going to eat, like, half of it, maybe. But Toby has, like, eaten all of the gummies. The gummy bears are, like, having a party uh, in his, like, nervous system right now. And it's, like, he sees the flashing lights. And what happens to Toby here is that he goes from being totally normal to being like psychedelically stoned as fuck in like this second. Like the switch that flips is not just the lights, but it's also like the Toby trips balls switch. So uh, the lights go up, all of a sudden Toby is like sweaty. He's like falling to his knees. He sees like a really freaky lamb that's in some creepy lighting that was like an arcade prize that seems to be menacing him. Like the whole, like there's like an arcade sign. Like to your point that the show might've been running out of money. Like we just keep getting this arcade sign. that's just like flashing and looking like more watery. Like it could be a portal to another dimension or it's like that dolly painting where all the clocks are melting. Like this, the stage set is just melting around Toby as he tries to like make sense out of everything that's going on. Um, apparently there's a moment where he quote has a, but I'm super doubtful. Uh, Lorenzo has been felled by these metal pipes. Uh, the liars burst in. And at this point, a begins, uh, you know, having this like, pitching machine or t-shirt cannon uh it's full of tennis balls and it is just firing at everyone machine gun style everyone is banged up jason has to like tackle spencer to save her from being tennis balled pinball machines are exploding uh the next round of police rush in and lorenzo and toby are both out of commission spencer is like crawling over to Toby like through the wreckage of the arcade through like everything that has just been tennis balled to destruction uh and she's like trying to ask Toby what happened but he is too high and bleary eyed for communication or response 
he looks at her and even high as a kite, his glance is accusatory. He's like, I've lost all sense of reality except for the fact that I hate my girlfriend. <laughs> um, he, the manly man policeman, is brought low by his shady lady's gummy drug problem. Also, the other police officers are demanding everyone put up their hands. Everyone is under arrest. Uh, as they're maybe just going to haul everyone down to the station and sort it out later. Uh, we also get one very strange moment of Emily rushing to Lorenzo's side, <laughs> fervently wondering if Allie's new boyfriend is okay. Does she even know who Lorenzo is? Has she met him? <laughs> anyway. <laughs> also, also, also. Jason is furious with Spencer and the others for interfering. Oh, man. I know what you mean. I also envisioned this scene as being bigger and, you know, more (laughs) of the centerpiece of this episode. But, you know, what we get here is glorious. I love the mess of it all kind of happening at once. (laughs) Yeah, and, like, this is a sense, you know, sometimes A has, like, really elaborately laid traps. You do kind of get the sense that A was just playing this one by ear. Like, severely located metal pipes, a little tennis ball cannon. That's all it takes. Like, that's all the magic it takes to outsmart the Rosewood PD. It's sort of like somebody being like, you know, I'm right-handed, but I'm going to I'm going to write this with my left hand just for the fun of a challenge. Or I'm going to like, <laughs> you know, play basketball with my left hand or whatever. It's like A is like I'm feeling like I'm not challenged enough. I'm just going to I'm just going to kind of I'm going to improv. I'm going to play it like jazz, you know. <laughs> or it's like, you know, like Charlotte and Sarah Harvey were like sitting around and they were like, "What what could I do for my birthday this year? I'm just not, I'm just not really sure. Like what are, what are the possibilities? And uh, they just kind of did a Mad Libs, like abandoned arcade. Yes. Jason, you know, like they were just picking it out of a hat. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a found art, you know, a installation. Kind yeah. Of. yeah. It's great. Um, so Ashley is very, very mad that Hannah went on this mission, uh, as they arrive back at the Marin house, Hannah says, you know, she was trying to help. She was trying to catch a Ashley says that this isn't her job. Her job is to go to college. Hannah says that she doesn't think they should take the scholarship, pointing out that the connection to the De Laurentiis family gives her a bad feeling. But Ashley counters that after what that family has put them all through, they deserve the money. She's already deposited the check, and that felt really, really good. Now, as they are coming in, they're arguing and saying, like, two cops outside aren't enough. Do you need one in the, you know, the foyer as well? All right. Why are the cops just sitting outside of their houses? If the cops are supposed to be preventing the liars from being kidnapped, like, why aren't they following the liars themselves all the time? Yeah, that's a really, that's a really good point. It's like, do they think think that they're immobile or something? Like, well, then they know that they're not because the cops saw them at the De Laurentiis house earlier this very day. Like, yeah. do the cops, like, is there a theory that A is going to come and, like, David Copperfield, the houses of the liars? Like, they're just all going to vanish? And then everyone's going to be like, oh, no, where did that house go? 
<laughs> maybe. Maybe. I could see it. God. Huh. Okay. So, in what is actually another really nice Aria Mike scene, uh, yeah. Aria is crying quietly in her room all alone. Uh, and when she hears a knock on her bedroom door, the first thing she says is she's pleading with her dad that she does not want to talk anymore. And it's like, I feel you. I would not want to talk to Byron Montgomery ever. Uh, but it's a nice touch. It's like a nice, you know, for all that the Montgomerys are like in a French farce, you never see them. Uh, it's nice to think that like she's just been having it out with her dad. Uh, and and now she's like really upset in her room. It's actually Mike, uh, the best damn man in Rosewood. He talks to Aria with compassion and like she's a human being. He commiserates about their parents. He tells her that she's brave. Um, he talks about reconciling with Mona. And then he hands her a letter that came for her about the art show. Oh, I love Mike in this scene. I just like I think Lucy is also great in this scene like the way she's just sitting there crying and you know she's the liar who was like the least excited about this mission in the first place so I feel like she is the in some ways the most just full of regret um yeah it's just lovely I love Mike coming to her I love that he like like it feels very teenagery in a really sweet way that like he kind of can't contain his excitement about the Mona thing like he's kind of he's trying to like sort of tamp it down because he knows like Arya's really going through it but like he's kind of smiling about it which I think is very sweet um and like yeah I just I love him telling her that she's brave because it's like I, I don't think anyone ever tells Arya that um and it's I, I especially I feel like Arya is so much a character who like Men, especially, you know, Prezra, especially, it's all about like what, what she can do, like her artwork and her writing and her, you know, like her her interesting eye and her unusual perspective. And like it's kind of about it's it's almost this sort of like you're not like other girls kind of compliment, which is like such a weird compliment. And I feel like Mike is like speaking to her character in a way that is really wonderful for Arya to hear, especially from somebody like Mike, who, like, I I do think believes it in the way that he talks about it. And also, like, he knows what it's like to grow up with Ella and Byron as parents and, like, how awful that is. And so I feel like he can really say that with, you know, some authority. Oh, I, I totally agree. I think that everyone treats Arya like she's the manic pixie dream girl. Like, that's yes. generally that's generally their way of interacting with her. But... Yeah, I, I feel like when she's in these scenes with Mike, you get the feeling that, like, she's known and loved for, like, who she is as a yeah, person. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I totally agree. Um, yeah, it reminds me a little bit. I, I recently read this uh, Ann Patchett quote from Bel Canto, which is a book that I love, and it was talking about the difference between being loved for, like, who you are and being loved for what you do and how being loved for who you are requires the person to actually know you and for you to know them. And I feel like that's, like, we're, we see that in the Mike and Aria relationship. Yeah, that's a really great way to put it. Yeah. So, <laughs> meanwhile, Spencer is wandering the halls of the police station uh, she lets herself into the dark room where Toby is recovering. Toby should really be in a hospital. Like, considering how much pot he has likely consumed, unless Sabrina makes just, like, very weak edibles, like, 
he has probably had like, I don't know, like the standard is like 10 milligrams of THC, I think in most, in most edibles, he's probably had like 500 milligrams of THC at this point. Like he needs, he needs some medical attention, I would say, (laughs) but instead he is sitting here still stoned out of his mind. Uh, He will be stoned for a long time. Uh, Spencer sits down. She's tearful. She apologizes. Of course, like, of course, like Toby ate all these pot gummies and she's the one apologizing, saying that she didn't know Sabrina put them in her bag. She should have told Toby she was having problems. They were so close. Damn it. If Toby hadn't eaten all those pot gummies, everything would have been fine. This is like such weird like emotional whiplash because like it's almost like I don't even know are they trying to be high camp here I don't I'm not even sure because the way that it's like it's just such so ridiculous they were gonna catch a but then Spencer's boyfriend got too high and now they can't Toby tells her to leave he says I can't have somebody find me like this uh he also looks a bit tearful and Spencer leaves this is I don't even know what to say. This is just such a ridiculous scene in such a ridiculous storyline. Well, like, okay, I have a number of questions. First, Lorenzo was taken out by the tennis ball cannon and the metal pipes. So how did Toby get back to the station? And did no one, did none of the other cops realize that something was very, very wrong with him? Great question. Great question. Number two, he is drinking a cup of coffee. Maybe toilet coffee, maybe not. <laughs> Hard to say. Um, like, like he's just going to sober up. Like, this tiny half cup of coffee is definitely going to counteract all of the pot gummies that he just ate. Also, why is this not, like, why is there no discussion of how maybe he shouldn't have taken the gummies? Everything is Spencer's fault. The existence of the gummies, the existence of problems that she has. And she's like, I should have told you that I was having a hard time. Well, like, it wasn't a secret. Like, if he had been yeah. around, if he had, like, supported you in any way, like, he might have been aware of that. But no, apparently he thought, well, you know, you're not kidnapped anymore. So everything's great. Right. He is the one who's been out of town, too. Like, it's it's not like she went off out of town. You know what I mean? And she just told him, like, a whole bunch of stuff that she didn't want to tell him. So, like, her coming back and then apologizing for not telling him more stuff is just, oh. It is heartbreaking having yeah. her, like, Spencer in this scene is trying to apologize for a thing that he took that she didn't even know that she had. It's It's such weird... <laughs> Like, it's such weird sort of convoluted logic to get her to a place where she is apologizing, especially because, like, he was also the one who insisted on them not being there to, you know, like, it's just, ugh, ugh, I hate it. I really, really hate it. Yeah, dump the motherfucker already. Like, this is just, this is just too much. Totally. (sighs) So Arya opens her letter and finds out that she gets to be in the art show. She clutches the letter to her chest as if it is the only good thing in the world. Right. And if I'm not mistaken, this is the art show that Clark taught her, talked to her about. So this is theoretically her ticket to L.A. and out of Rosewood. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Uh, so we have like a bit of a mini montage here. Uh, Spencer sadly leaves the police station, kind of giving one last withering look to stoned Toby. Uh, meanwhile, Emily is in her darkened bedroom as her um, Sarah's mattress has been folded up. She sniffs Sarah's pillow in the dark, uh, then smashes her microchip, which is an understandable impulse, but maybe not the best idea if the microchips were going to be used somehow to trick A. <laughs> Agreed. Um, I feel like her sniffing Sarah's pillow is like... <clears throat> I, I like that it's, like, so weird and so creepy and so over the top. Um, that's a nice note there. You know who else was into sniffing, by the way, was, remember Toby when he was, like, I've... Yes! What, what, did, what did he say? I've missed your smell? I've forgotten your smell? <laughs> something, yeah. something about her smell. Yeah, I know. And uh, also Jenna, remember, when yeah. uh, in, the, in the final episode, when she's, like, a, a bloodhound who recognized that it's not... Spencer by her scent so yes. yeah love that Jenna is the only one for whom like I enjoy sniffing you know <laughs> uh, so someone is pouring a glass of scotch it is a disheveled looking Jason before he can slug it down Allie appears and asks him not to uh, she says that a is not worth ruining his life over he says he was going to convince their sibling to turn themselves in uh, he just wanted a moment alone with them. He's very messed up by this whole revelation that his parents were gaslighting him his entire life. And as they talk, a voice is heard from upstairs. The voice of a young child asking Allie and Jason to come play with them. Allie and Jason rush up to the attic where a huge projector has been set up and is like playing a scene of a birthday party that took place at this very arcade uh, Allie remembers it. She says their mom pulled them out of school for some second cousin's birthday party and made them promise not to tell their dad. And okay, we've been working hard not to dead name, but now we have the second dead name. Uh, here we have, it is cousin unisex name, Freddie. Uh, this is the ultimate hat on a hat. Uh, there's also a note saying, I wanted to trust you with the A capitalized. Uh, looks like Jason is in some trouble now. But also, just to keep track of all of this, A is secretly CeCe Drake, who is secretly Charlotte De Laurentiis, who is currently going by dead name De Laurentiis, who is also known as Cousin Freddy. Everyone clear on this stellar piece of plot work here? Yes. Yeah. Also, I feel like uh, A's handwriting is more serial killery than ever before. Like, I don't know why it just like leveled up in the creep factor. Yeah. Uh, the way that they capitalize the A as if their uh, notes have all been written by the promo department uh, is really next level. Yeah. Yeah. And just just the lack of any question about how this got set up. I love that. I, I kind of, I think, I feel like I would get to that point if I lived in this universe of being like, sure, there's a projector in my attic. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that the logical conclusion is that while Charlotte was over at the arcade, slaughtering everyone with the tennis balls, uh, the moment that the cops burst into the house downstairs, Sarah Harvey was obviously upstairs getting all the projector stuff set yeah. up. Yeah. Like, probably like thumping around, like 
moving some stuff, getting the best angle for the screen. And the cops were just downstairs like, nope, nope, nobody here. No one's here. Yeah. Although, you know, I feel like if this was solely a Sarah Harvey operation, like Sarah Harvey had a little bit of guidance somehow because this would like the projector would be like badly sized it would be upside down like if sarah was the only one responsible for this there'd be there'd be some more problems i think could yeah. be could be so speaking of sarah we cut over to the a tag where a is opening a birthday present uh the birthday present is from your friend and ally uh which i mean presume this is sarah right like i guess yeah yeah uh, and the gift itself is a painting from the video that we just watched. It's a like a, a still life of uh, the the child blowing out the candles as their sibling watches. So considerate. Everyone loves a framed press still on this show. <laughs> I know. I know. It really is the laziest thing. It's like, yeah, we just pulled an image from that from that video, you know. And that yeah. is the episode. So this is an episode you have talked about this as being probably containing some of the moments that you've most looked forward to in this half season. My big question is, did it did it live up to it? Um, that's such a good question. I do feel like uh, in in a lot of the episodes that we've been talking about recently, uh, most of my feelings are like, oh no, I have to talk about this scene. This episode had a lot more scenes that I was like excited to watch and excited okay. to talk about. So I do feel like this has probably been uh, my favorite episode of the half season so far. What What do you think? I yes, I would I would say this was overall a more enjoyable episode. Even the Sarah Harvey stuff, like most of it, was uncomfortable in a way that was like at least kind of fun to to, to rag on. Except the scenes between Emily and Sarah were not great, but I I did think the addition of Claire made things uncomfortable in a way that was at least kind of fun. Yeah, I agree with that, and also like you know, not like Claire's going to win an Emmy for this performance, but I think that having another person in the scene for Shay and, uh, and Dre to play off of, I think that that is very helpful. Yeah. Just even just the triangulation aspect is, is good. Um, yeah. I feel like, I feel like the, you know, having more Mona definitely helped this episode. Of course, I'm so glad to be done with the Leslie Stone storyline. I don't think I had realized what a bummer that was, but like, I'm glad that even though there's all of the dead name stuff, which is terrible, I am kind of glad that we are actually focused on, on who a is, you know, even if, even if it's like all kind of muddled, like at least we know the characters know who this person is and we're like actively working to unmask that person. Although, like I said, up top, not really, like, in terms of pushing the mystery forward, does anything really happen in this episode? Not so much. No, but I do love seeing everybody get knocked out by the tennis balls. I do oh, think that that's pretty funny. And Toby watching the arcade melt around him uh, because he has just had 101 hot gummies <laughs> is a good time. Toby, like, Toby is going to... Like, through this experience, he's going to have, like, a massively high tolerance. So if he ever <laughs> wants to, like, get high again, he's going to have to take so much, so many gummy bears, smoke so much pot. Well, 
I I really feel like it's definitely true that when you take an edible, it, it does kind of hit you all at once. Like you might be feeling okay. And then all of a sudden it's like, whoa. But I do kind of feel like if you ate a hundred of them, then it might like, it might come upon you in a, like, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I just don't feel like you do that. And for like, the whole 30 minutes you're fine and then all of a sudden you're like tripping balls I just feel like I I don't know I'm not gonna like try it myself to like see what it would be like but I I just feel like the experience might go a little differently I agree I also just I don't think he'd be conscious like I don't think I think he would be (laughs) like fall over he would just he would just yeah he his soul would leave his body like he would just be he would not he would not be able to like move and talk and walk as well as he is moving and talking and walking. Um, I also feel like when he was like at the police station talking to Spencer, it was kind of implied that he was like coming back from being so high. No, 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 no. That is <laughs> that is sticking. That is sticking around. That is sticking around. Um, I once had an experience where I had I will share this on the podcast as we're talking about edibles. I had had um, I had made some pot brownies and I had taken one, had not, you know, it didn't think I was feeling anything, took a ate a second one. No. About five minutes after I ate the second one, the first one kicked in. <laughs> it was extreme. The the second one eventually kicked in. I could not leave the couch. And I was still extremely high by the next morning. So like Toby, he might be he might be high for like a week. <laughs> that that's taken a while to work its way out of the bloodstream. Yeah, and also like his highness, it it has not mellowed him at all. He still hates no. Spencer so much. He's still really aggro. Like You'd think that maybe, maybe being high would, would help him a little bit, but not so. No, no, it has not. Um, so one thing that's really, like, I feel like this is, like, the first of, like, the 10 episode half seasons, which is a lot shorter than some of the yeah. other half seasons have been. But it's so funny because I was like, well, this is, like, the seventh episode. And we had, like, kind of a, you know, it was, like, kind of a, a long launching pad of, like, the opening of this season where it was, like... Yeah you know, the dollhouse was happening and they had to be rescued and it was this whole thing. And then the the end of this uh, half season is also like, it's the, the prom episode and then the, <laughs> the game over episode. Uh, so I was like, so there's really only like one more like episode that's just the filler episode before we really kind of ramp into the finale stuff. And I was like, so when does Reese come in? Well, now that Leslie Stone has been retired as a suspect, now they're going to introduce Reese for like a, a two episode stint uh, as a suspect uh, before we'll just like forget that he ever existed. So good times. Yeah. The next episode is framed, uh, which this is where those very creepy morgue photos of the liars are going to come back. Um, yeah, this will be I you know, I don't remember. I remember the prom episode. And I remembered the one that we talked about tonight. This one is like kind of a little bit of a blank spot for me. So we'll see. <laughs> um, well, this has one of this. It has one of Tanner's most memorable lines. So I'm I'm looking forward to getting to that. Oh, okay, okay. 
Well, do we have anything more that we want to say about O sibling, where art thou? What what else is there to say? I feel I feel I feel that we've done this episode justice. It was a wild, wild time. We've officially talked about the uh, tennis ball massacre. You know, like this is one that I feel like we've been talking about from the start of like key (laughs) moments of the series. It's all downhill from here. Oh, dear. It's all a rolling tennis ball rolling down an arcade floor from here. Well, if you have thoughts on this episode, if you have your own embarrassing edible story to share, uh, you can, of course, send us an email at everybodyapodcast at gmail.com. You can also check out our Instagram at everybodyapodcast. You can also send in a rating and review on iTunes. We would appreciate it. Uh, We will be back next week to talk Framed. So until then, take care.